Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Thy Strong Word. I'm Pastor A.J. Espinosa. We're reading the entire Bible together out loud, chapter by chapter. It's been really cool looking at 1 Corinthians, and this is kind of part of what we've been doing lately, where we're kind of picking these psalms that have these different sorts of connections to the things that we've been reading. So really cool. Today we're checking out Psalm 113. Um, and as we'll see, yeah, it's a, it's a little psalm here. It's uh, just like nine verses long. But uh, yeah, we we make some connections, I think, kind of jumping ahead to 1 Samuel. So uh, really cool stuff uh, to be looking at here in the Psalms. Joining us as our guest, we've got Pastor Christopher Morandi, pastor at St. John Lutheran Church, uh, St. John Bingen Lutheran Church in Decatur, Indiana. Good morning, brother. Good to have you back, and yeah, just really cool to be looking at these psalms that, uh, I mean, you know, we were just talking about before the program, that the Hebrew in some ways is, is kind of simpler, I mean, you kind of in general, the ideas might seem basic at a glance, but it's so profound, the connections that are just laced throughout, right? Yes, uh, we, we hear a lot of, you, you mentioned uh, Samuel, uh, but we also have connections to, uh, to the Virgin Mary in, uh, in yep. the Gospels, and uh, connections really to to some of the themes in Isaiah too. So they, this is this is biblical theology woven through a psalm that, at first glance, might seem to just be, hey, maybe we're just praising. But uh, there's a, there's a lot more going on here uh, in how that praise is being uh, couched, how's it how it's being declared. Right, right, yeah, no, yeah. There's there's always there's always I mean there's always lots of praise going on, right? Like you know you have the the Alleluia words all over the place here, but you know Alleluia is never just Alleluia. There's there's so much going on uh, in the scriptures when you have words that just kind of sound nice and you're like, oh yeah, we should like put that on our you know church's bulletin board. Like, but you know, let's let's not let's not pass this over um, and let's sink our teeth into it. So, looking forward to doing that today. Uh, before we go ahead and give this a read through, brother, would you open us up with a prayer? Yeah, let us pray. Lord Jesus Christ, we thank you so much for the gift of the scriptures and especially these psalms, which they are not only the Word of God to us, they are not only your Word to us and the Word that you take upon your lips, but they are also words that you give to us to then speak to you, to bring before our Heavenly Father through, through you, Jesus. We pray, O oh Lord, that you would be with us this day as we study your, your Word, as we see the great reversal of fortunes that you brought through your death and your resurrection, the great reversal of Easter. Your holy and precious name we pray. Amen. 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 Certainly, uh, yeah, connections to, to Easter and, as, as you were saying, to the virgin birth. I mean, it's, it's all over the place. Um, I, I think that a lot of those connections and those little light bulbs will be going off um, for all of our listeners as we're reading through this. Um, but before we before we go ahead and and read it, um, anything else that we ought to be thinking about with this psalm, with uh, Psalm one thirteen? Anything that I think uh, maybe maybe anything that kind of just bears having in mind, or any of the language that we need to make sure we hear it the right way when when we actually have it come to our ears? Yeah. Well, it, one one thing I did want to point out it. Uh, the structure of the Book of Psalms is is a topic that is notoriously tricky. Uh, yeah. The, and and plenty of different ideas ha, have come out there as far as why psalms are in different places. But I think it's good for folks to for for Christians to to think of the psalms how they kind of all hang together because we're we're very used to kind of taking one and using yeah. it either in a situation or or in one in in our in our worship service on Sunday. And so it's good to kind of see how they hang together. And this is one section of the the Book of Psalms that. That does have uh, it, we actually call it the halal, uh, the, which is mm-hmm. the, the Hebrew word for praise. And so yep. Psalm 113 through 118 are called the halal psalms, and they yep. are uh, these psalms of hallelujah, praise to praise be to God, praise be to Yahweh to the Lord. And these were typically associated with the Passover. And uh, to this day, I believe they are they are chanted uh, in in. In modern Jewish practice, they're they're chanted all throughout the Passover, uh, the Passover festival, and more than likely, more than likely, uh, Jesus and his disciples uh, had these psalms on their lips uh, as they were celebrating 
all the Passovers, but particularly the Passover before his death. Certainly, and and we we've had an opportunity to talk about a number of these um, from the the Hallel. That I mean, I think we I think actually we've talked maybe about even most of them at this point, but we were able to talk about a few um, back during um, dur- around Easter, um, or I think the week leading up to it. In fact, a little bit, um, and we've had like opportunities to look at some of those connections. I think connecting to Exodus um, with the Passover. How we have that, you know, that Passover Easter connection going on uh, that you have for us in Exodus, then, and so, yeah, uh, there is kind of that kind of overarching Easter theme, you could mm-hmm. say, but it's not as if you know they're all just totally the same thing. Like you know, one eleven's the same thing as one twelve, same thing as one thirty. They're all just interchangeable. They have these these different aspects, right, mm-hmm. being brought out, which is, which is helpful for us because. I think that um, in, in some ways, kind of, I think getting to what, what you were saying, we're kind of just so used to certain parts of scripture or certain scriptural ideas kind of just getting tied to like, you know, a certain post. And it's like, okay, that's where it belongs. That's what it is. That's what it does. Um, but but we, we can kind of shortchange the ideas when we do that. And so I think that this is really helpful because, you know, lest our, each, lest our Easter preaching become one-dimensional, and we make it only about just one like thing or aspect. These are, in some ways, lots of different aspects of Easter or Passover. Mm-hmm. Um, all these different themes, and, and one thirteen I think brings out its own unique take on it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which is different than than the other song. It, it, scripture is such a multifaceted diamond, and it's, uh, and the events of Scripture are as well. So so it's wonderful to see the different ways that that the gospel is proclaimed. Amen. Amen. Yeah. And so, and it's, it's just helpful, um, just for so many reasons, um, just as a, as a body of Christ that is made of various parts. So well, without any further ado, let's go ahead and read this through. We've got Psalm 113 here from the top, and we'll talk about exactly what the top is. Uh, we've talked about a little bit, but we'll go ahead and talk about a little bit more today. Here it is in verse one. Praise the Lord. Praise, O servants of the Lord. Praise the name of the Lord. Blessed be the name of the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. From the rising of the sun to its setting, the name of the Lord is to be praised. The Lord is high above all nations and his glory above the heavens. Who is like the Lord our God, who is seated on high, who looks far down on the heavens and the earth? He raises the poor from the dust and lifts the needy from the ash heap to make them sit with princes, with the princes of his people. He gives the barren woman a home, making her the joyous mother of children. Praise the Lord. So, yeah, just like we were saying, one that seems really simple, I mean, it kind of just has like, uh, almost just like kind of two ideas, you know, it's, you know, you kind of have this introduction um, that's just kind of talking about, uh, you know, okay, God is great. And then when it, when it kind of breaks it down into, okay, how is God great? Well, he's really up high and he lifts up the people who are really down low. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so it's like, when you, when you look at it that way, it's like, well, it's, it's, it's pretty simple. Um, but I mean, I, I think that that it's kind of deceptively simple or kind of ingeniously simple um just like the up and down theme i mean even even the bit about the rising of the sun to its setting right like there's this idea of being lifted up and going back down um it, it's it's just it's really clever the way that's all woven together and and i think it gets at some 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 aspects of what god does that we don't often enough stop to appreciate yeah, there, there's this wonderful kind of set of contrasts here. And it really, even in verse 2, now, uh, in the English tra- translation, from this time forth in the Hebrew, it's now and yeah. forever. Now and forever. So the contrast there. Then verse 3, rising of the sun to its setting. So you have that, that contrast there, the, the encompassing the whole day. And then the biggie, the Lord being high, and it just kind of drives that home. Lord is high. <laughs> uh, he's high and exalted. But yet he, 
pays attention to the things down low and even raises up the things down low uh, to uh, to an exalted position. And, and that really, yes, it is a simple concept. Uh, God is high, but yet he, he, he pays attention to those that are low. But that really, that's the mystery of the incarnation. That's the mystery yeah. of our salvation. That's, that's really the warp and woof of Scripture right there is, is the God who is high, yet uh, deigns to not only pay attention to his people who are down low, not only to, to raise them up, but he himself comes down and becomes lowly himself in order to bring to bring us up. Yeah, that's um I I think perhaps the 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 line that kind of like captures that is is uh, in, ver- in verse 6a which is kind of no coincidence right in the middle of the psalm <laughs> uh where it says who looks far down, right? I mean I think that kind of captures the idea like yeah. what other what other anything is like this that looks down at such a distance, Re- really, I, I think I think is kind of like what 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 we're kind of capturing the dynamic of because, and this kind of starts to get where where we we don't appreciate this, but um, the thought that there is this God who's higher up above the other gods because you, you got to put this back in the BC context and we're surrounded by very overt invocations of gods and pantheons and uh, idol I, I idol worship and, and all the rest of it so you know and they're all they're all associated with different mountains uh, very often and some mountains are higher than others or we kind of perceive certain thrones or, or kingdoms as rising empires rising and so uh, stars who are, that are also associated with all these things that would rise in the sky and so there, there's very much this very live um, ebb and flow and it's almost like a stock market <laughs> of, of of gods and 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 to think that there's a god who's higher above all the others you would just naturally think that this god is is totally remote has nothing to do with us it must be so far removed like that i mean only only the gods in like the innermost circle like have any like, any clue that he's even there and yet uh, contrary to all of that that expectation that you would have in that context, this God, like you were saying, actually cares what's going down way yeah. down here, even far below what the other gods seem to be concerned about, which is just a paradox. Yeah, yeah, it, it, that that it's not the the strong and mighty that he's concerned with, but but the very the very lowest of the low. Uh, that, yeah. that really is an amazing an amazing thing. And and something that I, I would say is pretty pretty without parallel uh, in their world and and certainly certainly in ours as well that we would expect this God to kind of keep us at arm's length we would expect this God to uh, uh, just interact with us from a distance to to remain high and in His Majesty and then and then He comes to us it kind of reminds me actually uh, of Jesus walking on water He sends out the disciples mm. puts them in the boat sends them out into the lake and they're they're going out into a storm or at least a wind and uh, in rough water and He's there on the mountain and and you could almost yeah, that's almost the picture you would think of God well yeah God's over there on the mountain and we're out here dealing with the waves. But what does, yeah. what does Jesus do? He actually comes to them. He actually comes out to them, and they're afraid because they're 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 not. This isn't how we expect a God to operate to actually you know actually come to us. Um, right. But yeah, that's what he does. He comes to us, uh, even we who are weak and lowly, uh, as as Saint Paul says uh, at the end of Second Corinthians. When I when I am weak, then then I am strong. You know, his power is made perfect in our weakness. Yeah, and I think that going there, you know, to uh, and that's that's a perfect example of it because I think that that's um we we looked at that when we were looking at Mark how that story is I think really kind of a story that's told in light of the resurrection that mm-hmm. that's kind of shaped in a way that kind of accentuates that um, the idea of you know Christ is kind of on his way up right like for the ascension mm-hmm. but he comes down during that forty day period right to be with this, the disciples and in some ways uh, you can metaphorically say to get in the boat with them so mm-hmm. that they would be comforted. Like well, what, what God, right, is, is so concerned for his subjects that he he changes his itinerary and he's like, yeah, I, I could go, you know, to, the, to this, you know, 40 days and 40 uh, nights 
paradise, right, that I have booked for myself, the VIP package, because that's what I deserve. I am the God of gods. However, I will go and hang out with you in your miserable little backwater town of Capernaum in your boat. Like, because I want to, you know, be with you guys and take care of you and make sure you're not too scared. I mean, it's it's really, it's it's crazy. And and, and the word you use um, is, a, is a cool one, Dane, right? It's a, it's a word that we, we don't use very often, except for... Um, I mean, to like mock arrogant people, I think. <laughs> oh, w- w- would you deign to associate with me, oh, Mr. High and Mighty? I mean, like maybe that's the way we talk. But um, but no, we actually we actually historically in the English language use words like deign and even condescend um, in a positive way in association mm-hmm. with God. Like condescend literally being like, you know, coming down to be with us on our level that that is... I mean, yeah, it's it's like you were saying. It's it's what the gospel's all about. Yeah, and he, it it's it's fascinating to me how this psalm turns on that, because because yeah. really really up until verse five, you're you're just thinking about God being well, God and and yeah. highly exalted and and mighty and separate and all those things, and then there's that turn. He looks far down. Uh, right. And then he starts raising up and making people sit with princes and all those things, reversing uh, uh, the the imagery of the barren womb, which we'll get to later. Um, yeah, it's, just, it's it's really it's kind of a little twist, which really you know it shouldn't shock us too much. But really, as you're following the it, it, as you're following the flow of the psalm, it does kind of surprise. Well, yeah. who is this high and mighty God? Well, he's the one who looks down. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, right. And, and even putting it that way, look down, right? We we only use this as like a negative yeah, thing negative. so often in English, right? Oh, don't, you know, don't look down on me. Or, oh, yeah, he looks down on, on blue-collar people. Or we might say like, oh, yeah, he looks down on anyone who doesn't have, you know, who's not in his own family or in his own field, right? Like we, we, we talk about, ugh, you know, looking down on people. That's the worst thing um, because we're, we kind of would like to operate in the fantasy land that we're, everyone's on the same level and that, that's you know everyone's the middle class um you, you know uh but, but but yeah this this idea that actually no no there's someone who is far far above and if he actually takes a moment to look down on us i mean that's mm-hmm. that's what we're talking about that's blessing that's goodness that's that's what we get at the ironic benediction so many good things but um one thing at a time okay let's just start with the very beginning verse one mm-hmm. okay so this is an interesting thing yeah, you have praise the Lord as the, the first phrase here, but this is kind of the, 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 the pattern for a lot of these Hallel uh, Psalms that you get, you know, praise the Lord, praise the Lord, praise the Lord. So uh, 111 starts that way, 112 starts that way, uh, 113 does, of course, then 114 seems not to, um, and you're like, hang on a second, what's going on? Um, but actually, I remember when we talked about 114 and 115, I think we took them together earlier. Mm-hmm. We said, well, you know, look at the Septuagint. Um, the Septuagint actually preserves that Alleluia word of praise, not coming at the end of our psalm today, 113, but rather at the beginning of 114, such that the the suggestion of the Septuagint seems is to say, it's not just kind of like we just threw a hallelujah in there because it felt good, but but this, it's saying that this is a hallelujah psalm, that this is in some ways maybe a title or a superscription like you see throughout the Psalter. So, I mean, how do you take that, what do you, and what do you think of that? I, I think that, I, that really, that, that certainly points to how, how these psalms all tie together, uh, how that phrase, praise the Lord, hallelujah, uh, runs as a cadence, a theme, a right. theme throughout, and, and and it doesn't come at the end of one fourteen, um, but as you said, the Septuagint puts it at the head of one fourteen. Um, right. So it, it's really, it, it, to me, it seems it shows how these psalms all kind of they hang together, they're tied together very tightly, uh, and whether you go with the, the Septuagint and move the the last Hallelujah of Psalm one thirteen over to Psalm one fourteen or not. Uh, you see how how they're all kind of encapsulated together with this cadence uh, that comes uh, at the beginning and end of 113 and then at the end of 115. So you could tie 114 and 115 together in that sense. Um, right. It is a cadence that runs through, and, and, and we keep hammering it forth. And then, of course, all the way to the, the biggie, Psalm 118, which is one of the more uh, 
popular psalms in the New Testament, full of, packed full of, of, of fulfillment, um, uh, which which brings all this the uh, the hallel to to an end. Uh, but I'm not seeing a hallelujah in Psalm one eight one 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 eighteen. Uh, I'm less yeah. Than, so it, it it I I think we call them the uh, hallel. Uh, but it's it 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 does mean the the word the phrase being found. But it's it's more also how are they all tied together? They all work together, and and you would say too they've been liturgically used together throughout the centuries, right. uh, certainly in the time of Christ, and then and then all the way forward. Yeah, no, no those those are really good points. Um, yeah, I, I think that that you know aside from just kind of designating it as a part of this larger thing. Um, because, as you were saying, these would be recited in sequence um, during the Passover celebration. Uh, it, it ends up kind of being like a, a cadence, right? And, and so you can see then naturally how what, when you're actually singing these things, they kind of just function as bridges from one to the next in the end. I mean, you, you could kind of see how someone could write it down as you know, the, the ending of one or the beginning of the other, because when they're all in sequence, it's like, what's the difference? I mean, they're so, um, yeah, I think there's, there's two, there's two aspects to it like that, um, that it's kind of telling us something about the character of this Psalm, but also it's kind of reminding us like, Hey, we shouldn't be looking at this Psalm in isolation mm-hmm. to that end. Um, any thoughts about how this thing links up between one twelve and one fourteen, one fifteen? Yeah, it, especially, Psalm 114 is is very to to me seems to center uh, the Hallel on the Passover because because that is very explicit Passover language. So when yeah. Israel went out from Egypt, I mean obviously that's very very clearly uh, the the Exodus going on there and talks about the sea turning back and the, and the, yep. the mountains skipping too. So this this vivid imagery here of God coming and delivering delivering His people. Um, so, so we move quite explicitly to this this Passover Exodus uh, Exodus language of uh, Psalm one twelve that that precedes ours today. Um, it does. It still has. It, it seems a little more individual in the sense that it, it talks about the righteous man and what what goes well for him and uh, the, the the blessings. The blessings that come upon this, this the the book of Psalms theology of the two ways the way of the righteous and the way of the wicked, and so that's the the way of the righteous uh, uh, is blessed. But then we find in Psalm one thirteen, I think, gives us maybe a little dose, uh, a little bit of reality in the sense that from Psalm one twelve, you could maybe get the impression that well, if you're a righteous person, if you're a good Christian, everything's going to be great, life's going to be wonderful, right? Um, Psalm 113 talks about raising up poor people and opening barren wombs, and so so there's there's this idea that that yes, there are afflictions that come in this life, even to the righteous, but there is a restoration that's coming. There is a reversal that's coming. That's what Christ has come to bring, and so. Uh, reminds me of the book of Job, because in the book of Job, Job's friends are constantly telling him, well, if you just repent and make things right with God, everything's going to be great. You know, you're, you're, yeah. uh, you're going to you're be wealthy, happy, and wise. Um, right. And, and Job keeps consistently going back to his friends and saying, you know, in this world, sometimes the righteous suffer, and sometimes the wicked do great. Mm-hmm. Um, but yet I know that my Redeemer lives. Um, yet there is there is a day that Easter is coming. Um, right. There is a there is a time when restoration will come, and I think one, Psalm one thirteen reflects that reality that there is there is a reversal coming. That yes, people are poor. Yes, people are barren. Yes, um, there are people who are needy. But there is he, God has come down into history and to to restore and make all things right. Yeah, no, thanks. That, that that is helpful. Like, I, I think I think I agree that that in one twelve, you know, it, it it is, and there's lots of passages like this, and we shouldn't, you know, try to deny them or put them no. in a corner or something that says, yeah, you know, um, the one who fears the Lord, who de- who delights in His commandments, right? You know, that that means to say, mm-hmm. you know, is it's happy to do them and, and enjoys uh, the teachings of God, right? Because um, yeah, it, it's it's possible the Holy Spirit does operate. <laughs> um, you know, it says, you know, yeah, like all these good things happen 
You know, you, you, I mean, think about the things in 112, right? Offspring will be mighty. Um, you know, generation will be blessed. Wealth and riches are in his house, right? I mean, so yeah, I think, I think you you read that and you're just like, hang on, what? Like I get all that if I follow the commands of God. <laughs> of course, if, if that's the, if that's the direction of our thought progression, it's not going to work out so well. Um, but yeah, I think, I think you're right that like 113 then is this kind of helpful bridge where it's like, you know, okay, yeah, that's, that's kind of how it works ideally that, that God gives us his teaching to be a blessing to enrich ourselves, right? Like, like what our Lord says, that we would have life to the full. But there is this acknowledgement, as you're saying in 113, that, yeah, well, but it doesn't always work out like that in every case. And in some cases, it seems to kind of be the opposite. And so I think, yeah, 113 is kind of acknowledging that. And then that kind of introduces and lays the way for Psalm 114 and 115, like you were saying, because the Exodus is the premier example in the Old Testament of reversal. So it's, it's a really nice bridge like that. Um, but I think we're all out of time for right now, but we're going to get into a little bit more detail here and then press on to verse two here. Everybody hang with us. We're looking at Psalm 113 here on Thy Strong Word. We'll be right back. These are the voices of young Lutherans in Mexico City, children who are excited to learn more about their Savior, Jesus. But they need our help, because good Lutheran books for kids in the Spanish language are in short supply in Mexico. To learn how you can help tell Spanish-speaking kids everywhere about Jesus in a language they can understand, go to the Lutheran Heritage Foundation website at lhfmissions.org forward slash Juan 316. Welcome back, everybody, to Thy Strong Word. I'm Pastor A.J. Espino. So we're looking at one, uh, Psalm 113 today, this Hallel Psalm that, as we were just saying before the break, acts as a bridge between 112 and 114. And uh, I think we're going to talk about a little bit more about that connection, and then we want to talk about some of the specifics of this psalm. We're joined today by our guest. We've got Pastor Christopher Morandi, pastor at St. John Bingen in Decatur, Indiana. This is pre-recorded for all you guys on Labor Day because you know what? We wanted to spend Labor Day with our family just, you know, sitting by the grill and sipping lemonade, right? So pre-recorded, it's no opportunity for questions, unfortunately, but uh, make sure that you do tune in live. Tomorrow we'll be back to, to live in First Samuel. Uh, check that out. Um, in the meantime, we still continue to thank our underwriters at the Lutheran Heritage Foundation. Thank you guys for your support who make things like this being broadcast on Labor Day happen. So their website, lhfmissions.org. Um, so, yes, yeah, so turning to this this bridge idea that you were helping mm-hmm. us unpack, I, I think, too, um, it was it was a, well, maybe a month ago, uh, we had um, Pastor Nathan Metter on when we talked about 114 and 115. And I really enjoyed that conversation because um, I think that's something that, was was kind of becoming clearer for me. You mentioned um, how there's this sequence in the in the Hallel that goes on, um, and then 118 kind of seems to be maybe even like the end of the tracks. Um, but then you get 119, and and, and 119 of course is really unique. It's this. It, it's just literally the longest chapter in the Bible. It's the longest mm-hmm. psalm. It's a bajillion parts. <laughs> it's a super gigantic acrostic poem. Um, and, and, and we talked about how the, the emphasis there in spades is the word of God. And that's, I think, why you have the Hebrew alphabet being used as a poetic way of getting at that. So if that's kind of the, uh, the march that the Hillel is gearing us up for, um, then I, I think it works to see uh, this sequence with 113 is focusing also on the Word of God. And, mm-hmm. uh, and, and that's, <laughs> that's interesting because in 113, it does not seem overt, right, to be talking about the Word of God. But I, I think it's kind of there, like, like I don't know, it, but between the lines the whole way, right? Because, you know, in, in 112, like we were saying, you know, the, the man who fears the Lord, who delights in the commandments, right? That is to say, mm-hmm. the things that are in the word of God, right? is supposed to be blessed. And then, and then 114, we read, well, hey, look, uh, we know from the word of God 
what God has done. Well, we, we, we know about the Exodus. So we like, there, there's these kind of word of God connections on either side. And so I think that's maybe like the, the kind of sneaky thing that is helpful to, to see that actually in 113, like we shouldn't neglect the word of God theme because it's meant to be in the middle of that. Mm-hmm. Well, and, and the word, uh, we, we often talk about how, yeah, you can look at this creation and you can, you can kind of figure out how things are meant to be ordered. You can even kind of understand that, you know, murder is wrong and that, that yeah. sort of thing. But the, the thing that just looking around your, the world is not going to reveal to you is the kind of stuff we see in 113, this, yeah. this reversal. That, that just, that's not the way things work. Uh, in the natural world, or the uh, or or in our just general human experience, and and that really I, I mentioned Job before the break, and yeah. I think that's kind of where where Job also comes in because Job isn't necessarily arguing that he's not arguing well the the wicked are always blessed and the the righteous always suffer. Right. He's just saying in this life that's the way it often appears, but yeah. yet, but yet. Uh, the reality, the truth is uh, that there is a day of reversal coming. And uh, there is a day when the poor will be raised up from the dust and the needy from the ash heap yeah. and, and made to sit with princes. So, so Psalm 112 is not untrue. It's certainly true. Yeah, uh, right. It's just, it will ultimately find its fulfillment uh, in that day of great reversal. Yeah, that's really interesting. Like, I hadn't actually thought about that. Now, that's actually making me stop and think more about Job more than I intended. But uh, <laughs> I mean, I, I think I think you're right that even though 113 isn't um, explicitly talking about the word uh, that, yeah, that very much so the perspective of 113 is something you're only going to get from the word of God. Right. Like you're not just going to look around the world and say, Oh yeah, like God is the one who lifts up the the low and, and sits them with his princes, right? Like it's you think to yourself, no. You look around the world and you say, well, we've evaluated things and social mobility has actually declined in the last several decades. You, you know, like a, a, a observation seems to say, well, the rich tend to get richer and the poor tend to get poorer, right? which which is just true. Right. Um, I mean, just on the whole, generally speaking, you know, and and so, yeah, this is a perspective that you only it's a a blessed one. It's a blessed perspective, but it's one that you only get from the word. And yet, I mean, to like to your point, right, like it's just sort of interesting then how Job is grappling with that. And Job, of course, is this very, you know, enigmatic character because he seems to have lived in a different place at different time, kind of outside of the the Pentateuch and, and the Word of God tradition, yet he somehow knows all this, you know, and has this perspective, which just, to me, is just kind of making Job even more mysterious for me right now. <laughs> yeah, and he he wrestles with this. Yeah, I don't want to give the impression that he, he kind of, it, you read the book of Job and you're like, oh, he's got it all figured out. He's wrestling yeah, well, too. He's, he's trying to yeah. figure it out, too. And, yeah. But but that is where he hangs his hat is really I mean the most famous verses in the book of Job are are I know that my redeemer lives and, and I I am firmly convinced that is the key to the book is, is that despite his wrestlings and his laments and his uh, his struggles and and sometimes crying out and challenges to God uh, he he hangs his hat on I know that my redeemer lives there there is a uh, there, there is a day of great reversal coming. Yeah, uh, I'm reminded. I, I, I think I, I don't think I've read. I think I heard Dr. Gibbs uh, from the St. Louis Seminary uh, say this one time. He said, "We've, uh, we've read the end of the book and we win." <laughs> 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 and and so when you have that eschatological perspective, um, then then you know that this great reversal is coming. And it may come also in this world. I, I mean, I, yeah. we don't want to deny that either, that, that uh, uh, as you said before, living according to God's law does bring, um, uh, according to his will, does bring temporal benefits. That, that does mm-hmm. happen. Uh, but it is also true, as Jesus promises us, that, that we will be persecuted, we will suffer. Uh, but yet there is resurrection coming. There, there is victory yeah. coming. There is reversal on its way. 
Um, yeah. And that's just not the way it works in our world. I mean, I, I've I've never seen uh, I've never seen a buffalo eat the wolf, right? I mean, the, <laughs> right, the, right, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's it, right, that's right. It, it always works yeah. the other way around. You know, the the the, yeah. the sparrow doesn't eat the house cat. I mean, it it the right, so the, right. The, yeah, we, we we talk about like natural law and economic laws. We use that word law because it just seems to always happen that way, yeah. right? Yeah. Um. And, and and yeah, yeah, yeah. So I I, I agree, and um. I, I think I think that's is is helpful too about about Job how, um, you know, b- because he he lacked actually a lot of the the benefit of the revelation and the word of God that, that we enjoy and that the, the people of Israel enjoyed. Um, that is actually one of the reasons why he struggles, right? And um, while he's going through his struggles, he is somehow wise enough and enlightened enough by the word of God through what exact means it's very hard to say, um, that, that he knows, you know, hey, this is, we've received this from the Lord you know, he, you know, the Lord gives, the Lord takes away. Uh, I mean, he has a, a better perspective um, than, than his friends. Oh, um, and yet, as, as you were saying, like, it's still an incomplete perspective. And as blessed, of course, as the words, you know, I, I know my Redeemer lives turn out to be for us in light of Easter. It's part of our Easter vigil sequence. Um, on, on a certain level, he's kind of just saying, you know what, I know somebody's out there who's going to come vindicate me because, at the end of the day, I know I did not do anything wrong, and I don't deserve this. And and, and you can kind of see in the midst of that, then uh, there is still the the conflict and the confusion. And the only answer is what the word of God. God actually has to come to him in the midst of a hurricane and talk to him. So the word at the end of the day is the only thing that reshapes the perspective, and and it's the word that is what he needs. Uh, the word is what gives us the the perspective on this God, right? Who is so high and above everyone and everything else. And, and, and so I think that that's, that's kind of getting there um, at this dynamic here that when you have, you know, this talk, you know, praise, O Lord, this uh, praise, O servants of the Lord, praise the name of the Lord, right? Like uh, to be talking about this name that's so high up there. Well, on a certain level, it's like you had to somehow, someone had to come down and tell you the name. Right, right. So, I mean, like, I, I think it's already even in, in the second half of verse one, which is maybe kind of verse one proper, it's kind of already getting at this that, like, there is, we can say something. We can name this God. Um, of course, we have the, the name the Lord because of what happened with Moses in Exodus chapter three, right? So, like, there, there already is, I think, this hint of for us to be able to say anything intelligible about this, this high and lifted up God, some, someone, something had to come down. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, the the Lord reveals Himself, and that that yeah. is an act of, as we said before, condescension uh, for yeah. Him to even tell us His name uh, right. to 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 interact with Him. And that's really in this the first three verses. We have the name what three times? Yeah, blessed be the name of the yeah. Lord, mm-hmm. and then the name of the Lord is to be praised. So as the the name as God's revelation to us, um, and it conveys. Uh, his identity it conveys not it's not just a moniker it's not just you know a name tag right. it, it is when when the name comes it it brings with it all that he is and right. his uh, his especially per, primarily his steadfast love and his mercy and his grace it, well yeah no exactly as he, as he says to Moses right you know um, the Lord the Lord uh, slow mm-hmm. to anger abounding in steadfast love yep. and all the rest that yeah that. And that's helpful too, because because really, and we, I think we've seen this before, how shame in, in, in Hebrew uh, that's the, the pronunciation of the word name, uh, not not the English word, um, <laughs> is uh, it's more than just kind of a, a label, like like you were saying, like a moniker. It's it is not just kind of a a series of letters that's pronounced a certain way that is is linked with an idea. Uh, no, it, it's I, I mean in some ways it kind of means word of God, actually, <laughs> because, you know, like you're talking about like, you know, the, the, the nations who hear of the name of God, and that means the story, the news, the, the, the word about him, uh, what's going on. Uh, to be talking about the name of God is to be talking about, I, I mean, all, all that, the message about him, the, the, the word about him. So, I mean, kind of unsuspectingly, I think it... <laughs> It kind of ends up actually being right here. I mean, it's not word in the sense of uh, like his instruction to Moses, right? 
but it is still word um, in, in that sense of it, it's the story. It's what's happened. Like it, it's, it's the contact point so that you actually can know this God. Yeah. Well, that's what the creeds are all about. The, the creeds recount a God who acts in history. And these are, uh, to me, it's a, it is a, an amazing fact that we have in our creed uh, the the name of a of a Roman governor. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. So, so we, uh, you know, in the the our our religious confession of faith is, is right. firmly rooted in history, and yeah. so the name of the Lord is not just something amorphous floating about, some concept of God, but it it is a God who has done concrete things in concrete times and at concrete places. Yeah, no, that, that's that's really well said. Um, that 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 concrete, tangible quality of it. Um, I, I think that that maybe that's that's kind of in some ways what it's it's getting to in verses two and three. Then that this is a day by day, real life sort of thing, right? This isn't in the abstract. When when it says, you know, blessed be the name of the Lord from this time forth and forevermore, or as you were saying, like from from now, the present. Right, what's immediately here, yeah. um, from the rising of the sun to its setting. I mean, it's putting it in these like very immediate terms. Um, mm-hmm. it, it's like you know this this very moment that's like right here with us, like this breath, this heartbeat, um, which which is I kind of already I think getting again at the at the paradox that if God's so high up and and, and removed, it's a wonder that He's so intimately and amazingly present. Um, so immediately present. I mean, this is this is like what uh, Paul talks on the Areopagus, right? In Him we live and move and have our being, right? I mean, and that that's I think the same sort of dynamic. It's yeah, he's he's way up there, and yet he's in some ways right in here more than anything else is. Yeah, yeah. He he's not just transcendent. He is imminent. He's right here, and he he comes. Right. He is the God who right. comes. Right. And, and so that that imminence, I think that that really is um, that goes along with what you were saying about how this is kind of like hinting at incarnation, right? This idea that you know, from for what is high to become low, for what is remote and unlike us to become near and it's hard to say. You almost want to say part of us, and in some ways that's true, right? But then, of course, this is why there were Christological uh, controversies and a series of, of creeds. <laughs> you, mentioned, you mentioned creeds, right? Because it's, it's it, this this is the dynamic that's so hard to put your thumb on. Um, but it, I mean, here here it is, right? It's it's the it's the far away. It's the it's the near. It's it's the now and the not yet, right? Yep, yep, yep. The the. <laughs> This idea that that God is yes transcendent, mighty, uh, big—if <laughs> you want to just put it in that terms—that yeah. He also comes down, and 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 as we as we mentioned uh, earlier, and kind of drive it home again that that these words, specifically seven, eight, and nine, um, those are the words, the same idea that is taken up by Hannah uh, when she uh, when she is blessed with with a child. Uh, the child Samuel, and it's the same sort of language, same sort of idea uh, that Mary takes up on her lips uh, when she praises the the intervention of God through her, through her very womb, um, that He yeah. is coming down in order to to bring this to bring this great reversal. Well, and and I think that that's really just, and I'm not sure I'd connect the dots quite that way, but it's really something like just think about it. I mean, how much more imminent is God? when he is in your womb. Yeah. I mean, like, I, I can't think of actually any way that he could be more imminent than that. I mean, I mean, just to think about that. I mean, yeah. the, the way that, like, you, you watch a, a pregnant mother, like, put her, her hand over her belly just subconsciously and just how her whole pattern of life just gets altered, right? Like, when she's pregnant and she knows it, she enters into nesting mode and it's like, you know, like, it's just this instinct that comes out and it's just kind of like everything that she does is somehow, like, organizing and cleaning and like preparing and it's just it, it just shapes everything and you know and of course we find our children are just this this expression of our own essence in a way that none of our work and words can ever uh amount to so to have to have god i mean of course and in the case of hannah like so bringing it back to first samuel like we've been talking about um answer her prayer her little lowly prayer right like she thought nobody 
um, was listening. Well, because because she was silent, it even says the text says right. Yeah, uh, you know, he he saw that her lips weren't moving. She he, he thought he was, she was crazy. <laughs> um, like so, she thinks nobody hears me, and, and yet God's paying attention. And of course, with, with Mary, it's like here's this little lowly girl who's going to be sent away to hide in a dark corner by Joseph, and you think no one no one cares. And not only is God answering the prayer, but God's God is the answer of the prayer. It's yeah. Yeah. The eminence of God is never clearer than than in this conception. Yeah, so it, it, he's not just looking down and sending us good thoughts. <laughs> right. Yeah. He's just looking at us and wishing us well. Uh, he he is actually doing something uh, in an incredibly concrete uh, way. You can't get any more con- concrete than God taking flesh. Right. Well, and and. and yeah, God, God taking you know our flesh, and, and and I think that that is I think why in some ways, um, rightly, the early church had such a strong symbolic emphasis on Mary, right? Um, because because Mary really is in that way an amazing symbol of the incarnation and the eminence mm-hmm. of God, right? I mean, there really isn't a better one that we have. Uh, I mean, I mean, just to 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 say, yeah, God is so near. He's he's your child in the womb right i mean it's just i mean how how much more clearly can we say that he's taken on our flesh than that he's mary's son yeah yeah that's that's what that great confession means that he is that he is mary's son that she is the mother of god that 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 those confessions are meant to 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 declare that that amazing incredible unbelievable uh, but yet we have the faith to believe uh miracle that he uh uh, that he has actually in, taken on our flesh so that he can be called the son of, and truly is the son of a a Jewish girl Yeah, in the first yeah. century. Well, okay, so, so, so focusing then on history here with our last, like, five minutes. Um, so, you know, so high, Lord's high above all nations, glory above the heavens. Uh, you know, we have th- this, this praise, this very lofty language, and then we get this turn, right, as we've been talking about, who looks far down. And then it's in these last three verses, seven, eight, and nine, that it spells out ways that this high and seemingly remote, impossibly remote God is somehow imminent and near. And so there are three, there are three cases. Um, and, and in verse seven, he raises the poor from the dust, lifts the needy from the ash heap. So we're talking about uh, showing favor to the poor. Uh, two, um, enhancing that idea, um, making the poor not only just kind of get out of poverty, right, get out of jail, um, but but actually sit with royalty. And, and then three, gives the barren woman a home, uh, making her the joyous mother of children. So reversing barrenness. So, I mean, so those aren't necessarily three separate things. In fact, maybe the best way to read them is take them all as part of the same thing. But so what sorts of things historically are we talking about in this song? Well, it, it really, it makes me think of, uh, and I'm not sure if this quite that, uh, historical in the sense that you're asking it, but the, the idea that Jesus drives home again and again, that the last will be first, that, uh, that he will, um, bring up the, um, uh, those of lowly estate, and have them sit on the at the table with the twelve uh, with the twelve patriarchs. That's that's the that's the huge idea of yeah. this. I, I think historically, are you thinking the through the 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 course of the Old Testament? Um, right. Yeah. Yeah. Like, like what yeah. what sort of things can we point to in the yeah. Old Testament yeah. that so, would look like? So this? really, I mean, the, the Exodus once again is, is yeah. certainly in view here. As Psalm one fourteen is going to remind us. Uh, yep. The raising up the poor from the dust and the needy from the ash heap. Well, certainly uh, the people of Israel being raised up out of slavery is, yeah. is the greatest example of that. You see it even a little bit in the patriarchs as well. In uh, God reminds uh, Abraham of, of where he called him from, uh, and uh, of course Jacob gets kicked out of kicked out of the house or the tent, and right. and he essentially has nothing. And later on he's going to say, you know. Uh, that all he had was a staff when he crossed the Jordan, and then he comes yeah. back with with flocks and herds and right. wives and children and all that. Um, right. 
And so God is constantly exalting his people and individuals among his people. Uh, Jacob's the Jacob's the younger son. David's right. the younger son by, yep. by, I think he's got seven older brothers that yep. could have been chosen, and he himself is chosen. So this idea of great reversal, we see it again and again and again. And then the barren women uh, having, having a home, having children, this, this is a motif throughout the Old Testament. It seems like uh, you run into it, uh, and I think with every generation of the patriarchs, we run into some sort of barrenness that is, that is yep. opened up. Of course, Sarah, Sarah most famously yep. uh, was barren. Um, but I believe even Rebecca and Rachel went through times of of barrenness or at least uh, uh, fertility issues, and so God restoring, opening the womb for them is, is is a wonderful miracle for them, and is also in service of the promise uh, uh, to bring the Messiah through their line. But then is the greater picture that it's even showing us is this great idea of reversal of yeah. of, of bringing forth. If the barren woman ha, uh, has um, has is the joyous mother of children, that is a picture of of uh, the restoration of all things, uh, the new heavens, new earth, that great abundance uh, of God's bounty. Yeah, a- a- amen. I think that you've just sketched a, a, re- a really beautiful pattern that's there in Scripture, as you were saying, like he, all the way from Abraham and Sarah. Like you know, he has he seemingly has the world, but he considers himself a pauper because he doesn't have a son, right? Um, and that's and that that barrenness is reversed. Um, yeah, and I think I think you see that like the the rising up. Um, David's a really good example of how you go from like um, rags to riches, so to speak. Um, but yeah, you know, it is it is interesting just how the pictures uh, of Hannah and Mary are just so perfect, right? Yeah. Because, you know, when, when it comes to Samuel, right? Like, so the barren woman is given a son. Um, this son, yeah, he, he's raised up from the poor... Uh, the, the the dust as a, as someone who's a member of like the the, the poor in this in this sense who looked down upon, um, and he yeah he becomes kingmaker. I mean he's the one who anoints the kings of Israel. He's the one who criticizes the kings of Israel to their face, right? I mean so that that happens. We see it happen with Samuel, and it points ahead to the Lord Jesus Christ because he's the one who. Yeah, he's born to the barren woman, barren because she's a virgin. In some ways, you can't get more barren than that in the sense of it's more impossible. And yet he's raised up, lifted up on Easter, um, in the ascension, um, on the cross even mysteriously, uh, in the face of kings like Pontius Pilate, right, who represents the king of, of the Roman Empire, but as the king. So it's, it's an amazing, beautiful uh, pattern that fits uh, so well for us as Christians living in the light of Easter. Thank you so much, brother. All out of time. Thanks for unpacking that, this, this uh, short but profound psalm. No, my pleasure. Thank you so much. Everybody, that was Pastor Christopher Morandi pastor at St. John Bingen Lutheran Church in Decatur, Indiana. Going back to 1 Samuel with this kind of renewed pattern and emphasis in mind. Great stuff from the Psalms here. Until then, everybody, I'm Pastor A.J. Espinosa. Peace. You've been listening to Thy Strong Word, produced by the Lutheran Church Missouri Senate Office of National Mission in cooperation with Worldwide KFUO, the official broadcast ministry of the LCMS. Your support is vital for this program to continue. You can make a gift safe, secure, and easily online at kfuo.org. Thank you for listening and supporting Thy Strong Word.